I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas, big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Achtung Millwall supports the Lions Food Hub. This is a friendly local food hub. It's based in Bermondsey. It's run by our very own Kelly Webster of the Mill Lionesses, a very well-known Millwall fan. They do need supplies, dear listeners. Before we get into the show today, they have posted they need tinned meat, they need toiletries, they need soup, they need tinned fruit and veg. If you can help in any way, they are on Twitter, at Lions Food Hub. DM them, you can DM me at Actong Millwall, and I'll pass on any help and information that we can. Lions Food Hub, at Lions Food Hub. Thank you for listening. Now back to the show. You're listening to Achtung Millwall, broadcasting from the beautiful South Birmingham. Except no sandwich. Well, hello, dear listeners. Welcome to Achtung Millwall, another special edition, one inspired by an article that I read recently by my very welcome guest to tonight's show, Mr. Neil Andrews. Welcome to the show, Neil. Okay, the new. Okay, the new. Um, a, a great, a terrific article, if I might praise my, my good friend and, uh, and, and guest tonight, on uh, the lack of, the incredible lack of Scottish caps for Millwall players over the 130-plus years of... Millwall's existence. Uh, it was an article written, I think it was Nutmeg, which I think is like a, a fanzine style, a good a quality fanzine. Neil, how would you describe Nutmeg it's, magazine? It's a, it's a Scottish football magazine. It's a periodical. So those of you that know Daniel Gray, who's a writer, mm. he's had quite a few books, um, not only on football, on other things as well. He kind of took over this publication in Scotland. So it's a long, if anyone knows the blizzard or, you know, yeah, uh, yeah, the, yeah. These, uh, this, these football times, etc. It's similar yeah. to that, but in Scotland. So it focuses solely on Scottish football. It's a great article, if I might praise it again. Mac Millwall, I think you uh, you titled it. Did it go with that title in the end? Was it Mac Millwall? In the, in the, I in think the it was Mill. Yeah, they actually chose the title based on the Sun yeah. headline of when we signed <laughs> Hartley Crawford. Jason Dare and, and uh, yeah, uh, famously Sinclair, yeah, yeah. I, I, I thought I'd go for the really original one of Great Scots, Great Scots for tonight's show, listeners. Um, I'm kind of mashing this up slightly as a consequence to Neil's article um, regarding the lack of Scottish caps for Lions since formation, 1885. Um, with a kind of follow-on to the show I did the other day with with Harry about the international caps for international performances for mill players over the years and obviously the recent um, tremendous achievement for Jimmy Abdu and his Comoros Islanders who have won their way into the first Af- African Cup of Nations uh, in 2022 and it just amazed me then it amazed me when I read Neil's article that we have so few Scottish caps so I thought it'd be great Neil to try and um, balance out the the recognition of the contribution of Scots to Mill Football Club over the 130 plus years since we formed on the Isle of Dogs in 1885. And I thought just as a way to start a conversation, it might it might be good just to um, touch on the opening paragraphs of your article where you deal with the um, there's always this glib um, throwaway remark that Millwall were founded by Scotsmen, and it's partly true, isn't it? Partly true, rather than being a complete truth, if that's if that makes any sense. Yeah, very heavily Scottish influenced. So although it was a mixture of nationalities, mm. uh, it was basically formed. Uh, there's a guy called Duncan Heen who whose brother travelled down from uh, Dundee uh, with a guy called Patrick Houlihan, 
if I remember rightly. Um, and they were kind of the drivers behind the football club because they were working at Morton's, which wasn't a jam factory. It's partly jam, but what they did was um, tins for yeah. sailing ships, actually. They, they kind of pres preserved the food. A cannery, like, yeah. Yeah, so if anyone's been watching the Terror, it's the food that kind of gave them no poison. Yeah, they used to do the tins for that. Mm -hmm. um, so they had, uh, initially, there was a Mill Rovers uh, bicycle club which uh, Patrick Cahoon <laughs> had founded, but they were very kind of sporty. And there was a works team called Iona, uh, which is where Millwall kind of came from. And that folded. They kind of went to, you know, they kind of basically went to the company, said, you know, we, we were getting better in our kind of practice sessions. Do you mind if we form this club and um, go from there? So they were using kind of like the factory grounds during breaks to kind of have training sessions, et cetera. Um, and so Patrick Cahoon and the Bicycle Club actually gave Millwall the name, um, but the kit of Iona was dark blue because of the Scotland thing, and yeah. they kept the kit. So the main founders were all Scottish, so the main driving forces, like the first secretary, things like that. And then um, Morton's used to hire a lot of Scotsmen from Aberdeen and Dundee, etc., because they had factories up there. And basically, they wanted the workforce up there who were used to doing this work to come to London. And so, obviously, it was a natural fit that they would then play football for Mill. So it wasn't just the first generations. No. It went on from there. And um, one of the things, the, the first club secretary um, was recruited to play for um, Ireland, as they were then known. This is Dr. Murray Leslie, if memory. Yeah, memory and says, so that's, that, that's where it comes from, that it wasn't just Scotsman. But yeah. Murray Leslie was actually a Scot. Um, so he was born in the Highlands and never actually played for Ireland. Um, it's a myth. Um, okay. So if you go into, you know, the Rothmans yearbook, you can't actually find them. And no one's ever actually found. But he, funnily enough, he never played for Millwall either. So whether he could actually play football um, <laughs> is a mute point anyway. But yeah, like, like all great myths, they 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 come from some truth somewhere. But um, yeah. so, so what they used to do as well, they used to kind of um, when Mill was established, they used to go back um, to Scotland. They used to put ads in newspapers and kind of offer jobs that weren't really jobs in the old kind of like professional era. Yeah. And so people would technically get jobs at Morton's, but they were kind of got the jobs so they could play for Millwall. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's very similar to the system that prevailed in East Germany and many of the Iron Curtain nations prior to the 89. I mean, there they had what they called shamaterism, I think, in the old yeah. days. But yeah. similar kind of idea. You had a job with Morton's, but you were really here to, for your footballing skills and to promote Mill Rovers and Mill Athletic. But certainly, I think it's. I mean, it's a it's a truth that the the club was very powerfully influenced by by Scottish players, Scottish influences, the club colours, the lion rampant in its various. Um, you know, well, the lion ideas. didn't come till later. Um, not not early. No, so okay. I, I think that's where the lions of the south came from. So they had this um, okay. motto of um, you know. It, it was a newspaper kind of article and, you know, lions were always a certain kind of animal that was associated with, you know, bravery, et cetera. And during the cup run, they had this lions thing, but that's where that come from. So the original badge just said MFC on it. There, there were no right. lions okay. or MRFC as it were. It's kind of yeah. rovers. Um, but that came later, but the badge that they then chose was the James the first heraldic badge of Scotland anyway. The one like you see the Red Lion pub. Yeah. So th there is a connection there, but it's not necessarily the same connection, if that makes sense. It's a great article, as I say. If, if you do subscribe to Nutmeg, do have a look at it. It's well worth a read. Um, the sad truth, listeners, is that we've only ever had one Scottish cap in the 130-plus uh, years, five years, three years since formation, and that was one Jordan Archer, Neil, in a, a 2 0 loss against Peru in Lima in 2018. Um, he took a bit of flack for his goalkeeping that night as well, didn't he? He did slightly unfairly. Um, Story of his oh, career. <laughs> really, yeah. So, the, I mean, the first goal was kind of because he kind of rushed out, had a mad rush of blood. Um, yeah. He didn't actually give away the penalty. It was another player who ran balled it. And <laughs> he almost did save the penalty. But straight after half time, he got harshly judged for a goal that was kind of, you know, a snapshot in the six-yard box, as it were. Um, yeah. But again, he wasn't really at the height of his powers. He'd been in the Scotland squad a number of times and was always on the bench and yeah. never really given a chance. And then Scotland had this kind of end of season tour to South America. And ironically, I think that was the first time they played Peru since the 1978 World Cup. Um, and so it was the end of that season where, you know, he was making all those mistakes. So it wasn't his height kind of thing. Um, so it was weird that 
um, Alec McLeish actually gave him a cap then rather than earlier on in his career, to be honest. One of the things that struck me, and I wanted to ask for your views, obviously you're, you know, you're, you're a Scottish fan and Millwall fan, um, but one thing that leaps out of me with um, the, the story of Scottish football, if you like, is and it, many younger listeners now, anyone really born since maybe, um, I don't know, has come to football consciousness since the 1990s perhaps, won't have realised the sheer power and depth of Scottish football traditionally. Um, you know, I'm thinking back to the 1970s, and I was, I was trying to come up with reasons why Mill players may not have intruded on the Scottish squad. There may be complex reasons for that, but I, I thought one of them was that the, the Scottish team was often a mirror image of the very highest clubs uh, at the top of the first, the first division. I'm thinking of the Leeds, the Liverpools, the Manchester Uniteds, and so on. Mill players obviously come from second, third division levels often, wouldn't have got close to the Scottish team traditionally because Scotland was a power. Um, is that a fair assessment in your eyes? Would that be would that be a, a good call, or is that over oversimplifying it? No, there are more complex reasons actually. So, um, kind of before the First World War, the Scottish FA refused to pick anyone who wasn't playing in Scotland. Mm. So we had quite a few players who joined Millwall, as you know, as we described from the ads kind of thing, yeah. um, who represented the Scottish League, etc. And you know, one of the first games of the den was the Southern League versus the Scottish League, um, and they were chosen for that reason because uh, of the Scottish connections. But they had a number of players who, you know, played the odd cap. But as soon as they moved to England, they were no longer considered. So the non grata at that point, yeah. as, you, as you crossed the border, yeah. And this actually continued quite a while until. I think England thrashed them 5 0 for the, yeah, I think it was the, the third or fourth win on the trot for England. Mm. And, you know, people were saying because they, you know, they were only selecting these teams. So to get round this, the Scottish FA chose what was known as Anglo Scots. And so they used to have a practice match or a kind of selection match. The trials game. Yeah. Around. And they had Anglo Scots versus the, you know, the home based Scots. And I think the Anglo Scots, yeah, won quite convincingly. And so, <laughs> Next time they played England, they won. And it went from there. You had kind of like the Wembley Wizards and that. You won yeah, five, yeah, one, yeah. that famous victory, et cetera. But you're right. Come um, so like early 70s, you know, you did, you know, you had Peter Lorimer, who, who died the other week. Um, yeah, yeah. You know, you had Billy Bremner. You had Danny McGrain. You obviously had Kenny Dalgleish, who actually yeah, wasn't yeah. at his height. Well, he was yeah. at his height at club level, but, you know, it's always been the jury's out on his Scotland career, but at Scotland, he used to, I mean, like the for World Cup, for example, he actually played in midfield. He didn't play up front, but, you know, you had people like Dennis Law, you had, you know, Ian St. John's, etc. You know, you had some very strong teams, you know, um, but we almost did get someone when we almost signed Alan Ruff in 1978, but decided <laughs> to go with Pat Cuff instead. So I don't know whether that was <laughs> the, 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 the right move or the wrong move, to be honest with you, but yeah. Even Alan Ruff, although he's got this reputation in England, mainly from the 1978 World Cup. Yeah. He was actually a decent keeper, but people always remember Peru. And they remember a certain free kick where he actually got his hand to it. But, you know, the main fault was Lou Macari in the wall ducking because it was going straight to his head. <laughs> and he always says, yeah, no one ever gives him any jip. I always get the blame. But I think it was because he had that ridiculous perm as well. <laughs> there we are. That's uh, oh, it's so near and so far for Scotland in certainly in the 70s and, and, and the late 70s, 78 World Cup, particularly um, some great performances and then some um, less great performances, I think probably is the best way to put it. Uh, but certainly the modern era has, not, has been unkind on Scottish fortunes, really. Now, I mean, the, the rise of the Premier League, I think, has not helped, um, the, the, you know, the, 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 the Scottish uh, game, nor for the border. I mean, you've, you've got obviously the uh, the problems at Rangers, two great powerhouses, Celtic and Rangers. Um, you know, Rangers have fallen into hard times, maybe just make it a comeback now. It may be that there's a little bit more competition, but it's... It's a tough league in some ways because you have these giants of the game um, dominating everything, and then you know lesser lesser lights quite quickly as you as you go down through the uh, the, the league table. There, it's it, it, there's there's always been a, a talk of Rangers and Celtic joining the Premier League. I'm not sure it's ever really had any legs. I'm not sure the Premier League would particularly want it. Would you? Would you agree that that would be a strengthening move for Scottish football? I'm not so sure, well, personally. Not anymore. I mean, if you talk early 90s, early 2000s, you know, Rangers were dominant. You yeah. know, they were beating English clubs. Celtic were the same. Um, but the, the trouble was, you know, a lot of it is down to the Scottish FA. And, mm. you know, everyone thinks to, 
the English FA is a bit backward thinking. They should, they, should, they should try Scotland. You know, <laughs> there were other issues as well. You know, there's, you know, lost a huge generation to various social issues, etc. Yeah. You know, yeah. you read the stories of, you know, the, the talented players that went off, you know, to, you know, dabble with heroin or yeah. form bands. It was either one of the two, wasn't it? Yeah, but, yeah, um, yeah. That, the grassroots game up there as well. It's like it was only recently started getting, you know, things like the 4G pitches and stuff like that. But, you know, the way it, it's very insular, you know, it's still part time in the lower leagues. Um, and the, the simple truth is you could actually earn more playing football in Gibraltar than you can in Scotland. Wow. Wow. Quite something. Isn't it? I was I mean, I was quite interested to see our own Danny McNamara go north to St. Johnston. And now I think we've sent James Brown up in as, as Matt, Danny Max come back down. James Brown's gone up. It, it was interesting to see it maybe for the first time in a long while where you go to Scotland to improve your game. I think that was quite an interesting development. I mean, I'm, I have no axe to grind on this. I, 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 I enjoy Scottish um, matters generally. I, you know, it's, it's nice to see the, the game developing up there. The strong Scottish game traditionally meant there's a strong English game as well as part of the same coin. Go back to the seventies, for example. You know, everyone had kind of like a Scottish club. You know, yeah, you, you knew mean, you did, every, right. every great club had a, a Scottish spine, didn't they? I mean, yeah. you look at all the champion sides, you know. But um, yeah, it used to make um, a friend of mine who I went on the old Mesa tours with. He used to mm. laugh that I used to like Aloe Athletic, and the only reason I picked Aloe <laughs> Athletic as a child was the shoot Lucky Ladders, okay. and they had the orange on black, and it just I don't know, it drew me to it because it was so different to everything else. I have seen Queen's Park in Hampden Park when it was being rebuilt. Half of the stadium was yeah. missing. It was a strange experience. I think we're playing Cowden Beath. Um, so you had this part, half of a, of a world-class stadium. The other half was like open to a car park over the back. Um, with, with what was in truth was a park level game being played in this kind of bizarre arena on one of the, I think they call it Dryck. I'm probably not pronouncing it correctly. It was like a misty rain. Mm. It was it was as cold as you could imagine, and it was. I'm, I'm glad I went there. I'm not sure I'd want to go back too often, but it was a wonderful experience to say you've seen Queen's Park in Hampden Park because I think they've, they've had to move out now. They've gone to um, just a, yeah. almost like an open field next door to it. It's, it doesn't hold hold many. Um, it, it was mainly because of the running costs they did that because yeah. Queen's Park. I think the last traditional they refused to go full time. Yeah, amateur. Right. They owned they yeah. owned Hampden Park, didn't they? Yeah, they did. That's, that that's where. Name. Yeah, that's where Andy Robinson started. Funny enough, um, but yeah, he's a good example. Him and um, Kieran Tierney of players actually, you know, playing at the top level again in the English leagues. Because um, you know, part of the problem was you remember the generation like Gaza, um, Chris mm, yeah. Woods, etc. That went to Rangers. Yeah. So people stopped buying Scottish players because they were too expensive. It's like when clubs stopped buying championship players because they got too expensive because the ASCII price got ridiculous because everyone knew the money in the Premier League, which kind of opened the influx of all the foreigners. Um, so it's kind of, it, it's not worked out well for England, either English or Scottish football, but it mm. was because players were so expensive, wages were so expensive, etc. And then Rangers and Celtic got into a problem where they were trying to compete with the Premiership sides. Yeah. You know, and that's backfired on some. So the saying went that for every five pounds Celtic borrowed, Rangers borrowed 10, which is why they ended up in trouble. Wonderful pies they sell in Scottish grounds, incidentally. I don't know what's in them, and I don't probably want to know what's in a Scottish pie, but they are beautiful things. Um, Scotch pie, you can't Scotch, beat Scotch pie. Yeah. Scotch pie, and um, on that cold, cold day in Glasgow, it was certainly warmed me up, I can tell you that much. Um, the reason for Neil and I speaking tonight, though, listeners, is to try and redress something of the Millwall balance. As I said, we, we, um, we call this show Great Scots because we've both chosen our respective arbitrary choices, perhaps, of great Scots players who've turned out for the Lions over the years. I've got my three. Shall I start off with my first choice, Neil, and then we can alternate? Would that be a good way to do this? Yeah, go on, start off with your number three. Number th Well, number three, I've, um, I've gone for... Um, I'm going to go for John Gilchrist as my number three, I think, because... Um, he's one of the lesser known names, and yet he was a major part of the early 60s Millwall side, including the team that went for 59 games unbeaten in, at home across Division 3 and Division 4. Um, he made 317 appearances for us. He was a, he was a defender, um, right back, and 
played between 1960-61, 1968-69, times for Lions, scoring 10 goals in that time. And I think, I mean, I've never, it's before my time, listeners, um, so I'm going by the evidence that I found on um, online. I think he would be described as rugged in his play, um, a real Millwall right back, the kind that you would want to see get stuck in. I found a £50 fine for John Gilchrist from Daily Mirror. Um, in June 1966, censured by the FA Disciplinary Committee for striking a Grimsby player in a third division match played on May the 28th. So you've got to find 50 quid for chinning a Grimsby player. Um, and then there's another report in dis uh, dated December. This is actually from the Coventry paper, the Evening Telegraph. Um, a referee, um, Eamon Dunphy, Irish, was, was being disciplined for using abusive language to a referee. But the report mentions John Gilchrist to the Mill defender for tackling an opponent, Neil, in a vicious manner. This was the official citation. Tackling in a vicious manager uh, manner. In view of the player's previous record of misconduct, the committee decided that Gilchrist must be, be suspended for seven days. That's my kind of fallback. I think that's... Um... I was going to say, people rave about Tony Craig, but he, he never did any of that. <laughs> he, he never made the Daily Murph being fine, did he? No, I mean, it was a wonderful report. I, I did put it on Twitter earlier on, listeners, and you probably may have seen it, but it's a report from the actual record-breaking game um, where we, we took the record of 55 games um, unbeaten, which against Ipswich in the November of 1966. Um, and it describes players almost open fist fights on the, on the pitch in the course of this one nil victory over Ipswich and it being a bad temper. I think only one person got booked. It's a, it was a very different world in in, in the sense of uh, physical play there. But I think John Gilchrist, 317 appearances over the course of the 1960s. His his last games were in the 68-69 season when he would move on to uh, to, to Fulham and then to Colchester United before um, management at Tunbridge Angels. Um, quite not bad record of honours. He's got a runner-up with Millwall in the third division in 1955-66. He was a fourth division winner with the Lions in 61-62. And then he won another runners-up medal with Colchester in 1964-65. And one for the, the purists out there, he would win the Watney Cup with Colchester in 1971. Um, Passed away, born in 1939, he passed away sadly in 1991, age 51. Um, I think that's a player worth mentioning, and I'm glad of the opportunity with these little shows, listeners, to mention some names that probably don't get mentioned too often. John Gilchrist, RIP, um, I'd say he's a real character, real character. Born in Wish Wishshaw in Scotland in 1939. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas, big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Achtung, Mailball. Who's your choice, Sandy? That guy, Sandy? Who would you go for? Uh, so my third choice may surprise a few people. Oh. It's, it's not Jordan Archer. Um, <laughs> it's, Jordan. <laughs> it's Hugh Curran, who Hugh only Curran. spent just over a season at Millwall. 
okay. uh, because okay. he was so good up front that someone bought him. <laughs> um, so he actually played alongside John Kilchrist. And I'll, I'll put my reason in why I picked him over some other more obvious choices. So he mm. was um, Man United apprentice, got released, played for Third Lanark, then went to Corby Town. And then he was spotted by Millwall and turned professional in 64. And he only played one full season and got 19 goals, was the club's leading scorer as we won promotion from the full tier in 65. Um, and he moved to Norwich City the following well, January. I was saying Norwich. I remember him being yeah. a Norwich player as a kid. So he scored 26 goals in, well, these are league goals in 57 appearances. So he had a great goal scoring record. Yeah. Um, and he, you know, he carried that on a bit with Norwich and was eventually capped by Scotland. So in 1969. Played five times, uh, scored once against England. I know, that's probably why I picked him. But um, <laughs> one of the reasons why I picked him, because when he was at Wolves, he played in the UEFA Cup final against Tottenham. That's where so, I remember the name. Yeah, 72, 73, something like that? Uh, 71, 72, when they, 72. Yeah, when they lost to Tottenham. But yeah. um, So when you think about it, there's not many former Millwall players that have gone on to play in the European final. Um, no. And there's no. not that many, actually, Scots I was going to say Scots players, but Scotsmen who mm. play for Millwall who've actually gone on to be capped uh, by Scotland either. So he is actually in a unique group of one, I think, of um, Scottish players who have played for Millwall, played in Europe, and been capped by Scotland. What season was he at Millwall for? Uh, was he it? was he was there sixty four to sixty six. So he joined okay. March nineteen sixty four, and he left in January sixty six. So just under two years he was at Millwall, but he had a great goal scoring record while he was there. Um, I said leading goal scorer when we got promotion from the full tier. Um, played alongside John Kilchrist, funny enough. But yeah, yeah. it's all about not what they also gave to Millwall, but what they also achieved in the game, and the fact he went on to appear in the AFA Cup final. Yeah, um, no, I, I agree. Capped, um, definitely deserves a mention, and probably often overlooked as one of our great strikers. Funny enough. Yeah, I mean, I think it's it's interesting because um, as time passes, these names become they, they they fade sadly, and unless you make an effort, one of the reasons why I try and do these shows, listeners, is to just to find names from the past that have. I don't know if they've forgotten Neil, but they certainly they they're not in the forefront of people's um, minds nowadays. No. I think it's a shame. Um, I, I think it's a shame when you have got someone who scores twenty six goals in fifty six games. People go on about Neil Ruddock, who yeah. played ten games for Millwall and is considered a legend. Yeah, no, I agree. It's, it's I agree. Ridiculous. I agree. So Hugh Curran, great choice by Neil. So I'm going to go to my my second choice now. Which one should I go for? I'll go for Billy Neil. I go for Billy Neal, who would also feature strangely in the Hugh Curran side and um, the John Gilchrist side. Um, a legendary figure in many respects at, at Millwall Football Club. He's, he's been around for as long as I have been a Millwall fan. I remember um, he would have been playing just about, I think it was at the end of his career, 1971-72. Yeah, he, he was a, a substitute for one game in that season. I do remember seeing W. Neal in the, in the match day programme for that season, that was my first season as a Millwall fan, um, and ever since then he's been employed at the club. Um, he would manage the ticket office, all sorts of stuff. He's done kind of office duties. Um, even to this day, he's still officially listed on the uh, the, the club website as the kind of um, I think he is the liaison for the former players. So I don't don't know how onerous those duties are. In all honesty, it looks like it may be just a um, an honorary position in, in, in some ways. But Billy Neal has been involved at Millwall Football Club basically and since 1963 and arguably to this to this day. He's born in 1944, he's age, age 76 now, um, born in a place called Rosslyn in Scotland. And apart from a brief period playing for a club called Bonnie Rig Rose Athletic in 1964, he would make 187 appearances for the Lions, 1964 to 72, um, scoring 23 goals. And as I say, he was involved in the, the unbeaten run. Um, he was part of Benny Fenton's kind of late 60s development of the side that would go so close in 71-72, though Billy's career was probably coming towards its, its conclusion by that stage. But to have been... Um, involved with Millwall Football Club since 1964 and still so now. He's got um, promotions with us in 65-66, 
Um, fourth division, second place promotion, 64-65. Uh, he's in the Millwall Hall of Fame and he won a, a, a Football League Unsung Hero Award in 2012-13. The Sponsors Lounge at the Den is named after him. Um, there's a, an article on the official site if anyone wants to have a look. It's um, the first was devoted 50 years service. This was in 2014 that this piece was written. 76 years old now. Um, I think that's an incredible, an incredible life, actually. I mean, for someone to be devoted to Mill to that level, I, I, it, it quite takes my breath away, Mill. Yeah. It's, just, it's, it's the old thing, isn't it? People become attached to a club. And there's been many that are attached to Millwall, funny enough, hasn't there, down the years. But, you know, Billy Neal was a funny one in that outsider who's become firmly entrenched in Millwall folklore, as it were. He's kind of like part of the furniture. Yeah, absolutely. Um, a winger in his day. Um, he's mentioned in a game, in the uh, the final game that where we actually lost the... Um, the, uh, the, the unbeaten run in 1967 and, and also one where we played Spurs, the report that was in the, uh, the I think it's the Sunday Mirror, um, was very anti-mill, written by a journalist called Sam Leach, who was predicting that Spurs will slaughter these Lions that have just got beat 2-1 by, um, by Plymouth to end that, that unbeaten run. Um, Billy would have played in that game, as mentioned in, in, in the course of the report. And a week or two later, we were due to play Tottenham in the in the FA Cup. We were going to get slaughtered, according to Sam Leach. He made one or two snipey little remarks about Mill in the course of his report. And, of course, we wouldn't get slaughtered at all. It's one of the great titanic struggles of the late 60s between Mill and Tottenham Hotspur. I think we drew nil-nil at a den in front of an immense crowd, 30-odd um, thousand, I think. And then um, at Colblow Lane, which would be quite something if anyone's ever... Uh, wonder what it would be like to be in Colblow Lane. You've never been. Well, believe me, 20,000 felt like you were, you know, shoulder to shoulder. 30,000, I don't know what that would have been like. Um, and then we played a return game, which we did lose 1-0 to a Tottenham team that included um, Jimmy Greaves and, uh, and Dave McKay and some other great names. And that was in played in front of 40-plus thousand. So um, we didn't get slaughtered at all, Mr Sam Leach of the Sunday Moon. Billy was part of that team. So... Um, Billy is my second choice of great Scotsmen that have played for Millwall, Neil. So that's uh, Billy Neil and John Gilchrist so far for me. Who's your second choice, mate? Probably another slightly controversial one. Again, oh. it's not Jordan Archer. Um, it's <laughs> Paul Hartley. Okay. So okay. Um, okay. one of the original Millwall four yeah. who um, came from Rafe Rovers, funny enough. Not Rafe Rovers, actually. He came from Hamilton Academicals. He actually joined Rafe Rovers, ironically, after Millwall. But um, he joined with the other three. But he was the one everyone was impressed with that season. You know, he, I think he had a great season on the wing for Millwall. Um, and again, I know he was only there a season. But the reason why I chose him was because of what he went on to achieve with the national team, funny enough. So he, he earned 25 Scotland caps. And um, he actually was capped under 21 when he was at Millwall. So there is the connection there. Mm. But, um, you know, we've had obviously quite a lot of Scottish players who, you know, who've made an impact at Millwall. But again, it's ain't making an impact because nearly oh, 25 years later, people still remember those four Scotsmen and people still talk highly about Paul Harley, which just goes to show the impact he made. But um, one of the reasons was because when he played for Scotland, he used to play in this holding midfielder role. Okay. And I'll tell you what, he... It sounds weird. World class would probably be an exaggeration, but he played so well in that role that he, you know, he's arguably one of the best I've seen in that role. He was like, he, he also grew a beard at the same time. So he's like a Scottish Gattuso, if you remember him. <laughs> he, was probably, he was exactly the same, exactly playing in a very similar position. And arguably his best match was when we won in Paris 1-0 during the Euro 2008 qualifier. Yeah. Um, because he played this holding midfield role. And he was absolutely immense. You know, he was breaking up the French attacks. You know, he was diving in everywhere and, you know, really upsetting their passage of play. Um, but he always played like that for Scotland. He just played. He was immense for Scotland, funny enough. Um, he played more during, on the wing for us, Neil, didn't he? He, he a, did. He played on the wing. An artist kind of on the wings. He, he, was, he was a fast winger. Um, yeah. But obviously, as he got older, he moved into this midfield role. More centres, yeah. And um, after... That performance, Gordon Strachan started using him in a similar role um, for Celtic. And, you know, 
very successful. Yeah, I know it was Scottish football, etc. And to be successful with Celtic, it's harder not to be, if that makes sense. But um, yeah, it was his performance you know, against them, Italy. You know, he he was immense for Scotland for a number of years. And again, it's like what he achieved as a player in the Scotland team, as well as what he achieved at Millwall. And like I said, may only been there a season, but really remember had impact really, really, in fact yeah exactly spot on you know people remember Tam Brighton for the wrong reasons that he was always out injured for two weeks but you know he he basically put in a shift and he was the only one of the four you know you could say the jury was always out on Steve Crawford but he was the one who did turn up and did play and did look impressive on the way yeah I mean those were difficult days let's be honest Millwall fans um late 90s were not uh, mid to late 90s were difficult times Jimmy Nickel um I think I'm going to agree with Paul Hartley um he was a, a, a an illumination in a, in a dark time in, in in the club and you know there wasn't <laughs> there wasn't much else <laughs> to get excited about and he did have that kind of as I said earlier on he was an artist on the wing and um that was a very welcome relief in what was otherwise quite tough times to follow the lines and, and Crawford I, I quite like Crawford I know what you mean. Some people seem to to take against him. Um, who's the other one? It was Sinclair. Who's the other one? There was the um, Jason Dare. Jason Dare. Yeah. So let's let's not let's not Jay speak of uh, Jason, Jason Dare. Dyer. Jason, Jason Dyer. Dyer and Davy Sinclair. Yeah. Um, but Crawford and, and Hartley were two two good players, and I, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna go with that choice. I like that choice. Um, I'm going to feel I'm probably going for more rugged or maybe now I'm the most obvious choice of the lot, dear listeners, because my third choice is Mr. Alexander Scott Ray, um, a wonderful, wonderful midfielder in the early 90s. Um, Alex Ray, what can we say about him? He came to us um, on, the, on the back end of the uh, first division days. I think he signed for us when we were back in the second division under Bruce Rioch. Um, a magnificent midfielder. Younger listeners don't appreciate, in my opinion, how good Alex Ray was. He was a dynamo in midfield. He could shoot. He could. He, he broke play up. He was as committed a midfielder as I have seen. One of my favourite all-time players, Neil. Um, I, I, I will go a long way to watch Alex Ray in his prime. And you can find quite a bit of material on YouTube. Um, I was looking just prior to... Neil and I speaking tonight at the the wonderful 6-1 win over Brentford. It's just one example. There's others uh, you can find on Alex Rainey's pomp. Um, some great, great performances. Played 200 and 241 appearances in all competitions for the Lions from 1991 season. Left us 95-96, which was obviously the, uh, the collapse of the club, largely speaking. Um, 241 total appearances, 15 as a sub, 71 goals. What we would give Neil Andrews for Alex Ray in our midfield right now. Um, magnificent player. I, I, I don't know how else to describe it. Obviously, he would go on to, to join Sunderland and, and Wolves, but to some success, he would play in the Premier League for both, both clubs. Both would be promoted at various points to the, the top flight. And rightly so, because he was a Premier League player. Um, he was. He was. He was. Um... He was one of the few players that when he never played, you noticed it in the walk. Yeah. You would cross the road and go a long way to watch Alex Ray play football. And I think that's always the um, <clears throat> the mark for me of, of a great player. You know, you as you've just said there, do you notice when they're not there? Yes, you would notice when Alex Ray wasn't in the team. Um, I picked out the Brentford game. You could I'm sure there's footage of the, the Sheffield Wednesday games, the four two and four four. Um have a look. It's well worth it. He would go on to play uh, back in Scotland with Rangers and Dundee and eventually strange <laughs> all the places to finish your footballing career finished at Milton Keynes Dons and that, that's a strange um, little way to finish it just three times for them. 585 league appearances, 114 goals. He played for the Scottish under-21s nine times. Never at the top flight. Did he ever get capped for Scotland? I don't, they're not listed on here. No, he did. He was Strange. not capped. Um, he got one of you beat in the Nationals when at uh, Millwall. I think it's under 21s as well. Yeah. And Mick McCarthy used to question why he was never capped. But um, yeah, um, there, there was running issues, I think, with... Um, lifestyle, I think. Yeah, there were lifestyles and uh, Craig Brown didn't like him uh, or didn't fancy him. <clears throat> um, I think there was 
lifestyle issues there, shall we say. Um, he's, he's now a patron of the Sporting Chance Charity. He um, is, yeah. And, they, you know, I, I take my hat off to anyone that deals with their demons, shall we say, and that's what Alex did. Um, and I've also got a signed Alex Ray Scotland shirt. From someone up in Scotland who knew I like Millwall <laughs> got me got inside Alex Razor. But um yeah, he was a fantastic player. That first season when Sheringham hit all those goals, we knew yeah. we had um we'd unearthed a gem from Falkirk. Um, Falkirk, that's right. But, you know, he played so well, it was hard to hard to wonder how he never got a cat. I mean it would to be fair, it was quite a strong Scotland side at the time, but you know, that, that doesn't mean you don't that... get the odd cap or the even yeah. a call up. You know, it would need to be some midfield to keep Alex Ray on a regular basis because in his in his pomp he was some player. Um, who knows what other things might have intruded on that decision making? I don't know. Um, no. Certainly, a um, little bit of management, not so successful in management. He worked with uh, Paul Ince at MK Dons and managed at Dundee and St Mirren. Still immensely popular, Neil. You still see Alex Ray engaging with Mill fans online. He's, he's, he's a very affable, very popular bloke. And one of my favourite all-time Mill players. I, I make no bones about it. He's, he was a great, great player. And um, yeah. Um, and and you got him because I knew you'd struggle with three Scottish players from Mill. I've got one. I've got a few by the ways, but we'll, we'll, yeah. we'll get your third one now. Come on, let's have I, I thought, I thought I'd give you the obvious choice to make it easier for you. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> so, so, so you're number three. Well, my number, well, technically my number one, it would have been Alex Ray. Yes. So just okay. so, just so it's not controversial. Okay. I gave you Alex Ray. That's fine. I, I can live with it because my <laughs> one is arguably one of the best middle goalkeepers ever. And as everyone knows, my fascination with goalkeepers, and he's Scottish. Yeah. And no, it's not Jordan Arthur again. No. No, it's Malcolm Finlayson or Finlayson, okay. however you want okay. to pronounce it. Yeah. And it's quite weird that when people talk about Millwall goalkeepers, and we've had a fair few down our time who were half decent, should we say, he is never mentioned. Yet he is probably arguably one of our most successful goalkeepers ever post Millwall. Um, he's definitely better than Alex Stepney, which may cause some to tear their hair some out. Some will have to be tearing their There's, I think Bob Asprey will be tearing his hair out if he had any left now. So <laughs> he's always going on to me about Alex Stepney. But um, oh, yeah, he's, he, he's got a good case of being Mill's best goalkeeper. But again, because when he played, he doesn't get the same mention as some. But his record does speak for itself, you know. It's just and the same. Finlayson joined Millwall in 1948, so he's going back to the post-war yep. era. Difficult times for Millwall listeners. The club had been um, heavily damaged during the, both um, physically and also in terms of playing staff by the Second World War. Malcolm Finlayson joined us in 1948. 230 appearances on Wikipedia, Neil. Yeah. Well, up well, to he, 1956. Well, he left. Well, this is interesting. He left school at 14 to work in the Clydeside shipyards. Okay. So um, he wasn't allowed to play football anymore because, you know, his parents couldn't keep him in full-time education. But um, he joined a club called Renfield Juniors. So junior football up in Scotland was quite strong back then. And he had trials with Celtic and Dumbarton. But um, because he was only quite young, I think it was 16 when trials in, they wouldn't take a chance. But Mill invited him down. Um, I think February 1948, played against Charlton in a friendly and they signed him on the spot. And he was only 17. And he went straight into the first team. No. Um, we got relegated that season, but that wasn't his fault. You know, it's already you know already on a downward slide, as it were. Um, but um, the following season, he was very famous game against Walsall, which some people may know about. Right. That um, he ended up in hospital after diving at the feet of an uh, opposition player. They took him to hospital. When they returned to the, the ground of the club, of the, ground, the, 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 <laughs> the gates were locked, and okay. um, undaunted. Um, they climbed over, so the um, the club official climbed over, let him in, yeah. and uh, Jimmy Constantine had taken over in goal, okay. and Millwall were losing three one. But um, inspired by his return and dedication to the course, they won six five. Six five made a six, uh, three yeah. one to come back to win it six five. Yeah, you so come, yeah, you go to hospital, you come back to the ground. Listen, have a think yeah. about that. It's different, isn't it? But he's um, another thing to mention. He did play over two hundred and fifty, make two hundred fifty appearances, should we say? But mm. it would have been a lot higher. But he had to do national service as well. Yeah, yeah. So that uh, kind of robbed him of a few things. And um, so, uh, 
obviously with his appearance, um, his reputation, his performances, etc. Uh, this is where another reason why not only did he do it for Millwall, but um, he did it at a high level as well. So several top flight clubs are after him, including Cheltenham, and he signed for Wolves. Um, he bought him as a kind of replacement for Burt Williams, the England goalkeeper. Right. right. And um, he eventually won the battle and um, became Wolves goalkeeper in that formidable size of the late 50s, where, you know, they beat people like Real Madrid in, you know, in those games. Which, big floodlit games. Yeah, yeah, which kind of spurred on the kind of European Cup kind of thing. I'm just looking at his honours here, Neil. I mean, you know, with Wolves. This, so. was, this was his honour. He won yeah. the title twice in a row with yeah. um, Football League Wolves. champion, yeah. Yeah, and I think he only let in 47 goals when he won it in 57-58. Right. Um, they defended their title but then the following season they almost did double this was the thing so they won the FA Cup um, they beat Blackburn 3-0 that was the one I think when Whelan broke his leg that famous final oh, right, yep. they won the FA Cup um, but on the last day of the season they lost and no one expected it and Burnley pipped them to a first successive triumph so he was a goalkeeper that almost won the title three times on the spin and almost became a double winning goalkeeper as well in the same season, which was unheard of. FA Cup winner in 1960, they'd been that season, 59-60. But despite yeah. this, Scotland never picked him because he was playing in England. <laughs> that's that's short-sighted. It's beyond you, the realm. Of... <laughs> you've got a goalkeeper playing with Wolves, the strongest team in Europe. <laughs> you know, almost three titles on the spin, FA Cup, and they wouldn't pick him because he was playing in England. So well, there we are. This in, is in 58, they took the goalkeeper. Um, what was his name? Oh, Fred something from Aberdeen. Right. Uh, you know, it was I went to the World Cup with him instead. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was near retirement. And it's like, it's, it's baffling. It's, 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 Sky Chef is sometimes baffling in their decision-making. And this is one good example where, you know, you've got someone like Malcolm Finlayson winning the league, etc., and you, you don't get picked. <laughs> Wonderful stuff. Malcolm Finlayson, 1930, born in a town called Alexandria, not, not in Egypt, but in Scotland. Um, passed away in 2014, aged 84. Um, goalkeeper. Um, great choice, RIP. League champion with Wolves twice, FA Cup winner with Wolves in 1960. Um, that's a great choice. I like that, Neil. Um, and, and I like it. It's not so obvious. And again, another name that... Um, many won't, won't be aware of. And, they, you know, it's nice to be able to bring these names to their attention. I went for a, a by the way, it was a tough choice between um, um, one or two of my my uh, choices and Alex Jardine. I just want to mention Alex Jardine, if I if I may, um, who was a defender who played in the 1950s with, with the Lions. Um, he played for 200 and 299 Fixtures, appearances for the Lions, 25 goals, 1950 to 58, before he would return to Dundee in the... No, he started at Dundee, apologies, the other way around. Started at Dundee and came to Newell, um, made 299 appearances. Passed away in 1978, aged 52, quite young. That's um, comparatively young, born in 1926. Um, he represented the Third Division South. I, I um, didn't realise this until I did some research just before the show. Alex Jardine was Mill's um, defender during his early 50s period and he played as a third division South representative in 1954 through to 1956-57 seasons and he retired in 58 due to an Achilles tendon injury. I mean we had quite a few um, players in the 50s from Scotland Yeah, you know when we were down amongst the dead men as it were um, so they don't quite get the well not the accolades as such but they're you know some of these players made over 100 appearances, but you wouldn't know, and you know, unless you did your kind of research. Um, because, you know, in the modern era, I think from the 70s onwards, you remember names or, you know, people remember names, but the names from the 50s and 60s are slowly being forgotten, like the names from the 20s and 30s, which they is a shame. Yeah, it's a shame. They become history, don't they? It's, um, I suppose, every <clears throat> for everyone, the, the years before you were born are ancient history, and I think it's becoming further and further away now. You know, it's... Um, you know, it's it's nice to be able to just shine a light into some parts of the club's history that isn't isn't so well known. I mean, one one thing, just talking about Alex Jardine and and the early down among the dead men, nine, nine, third division South years. That this what struck me was there was one season, I think it was fifty two fifty three, where we came second in the third division South. Um, 
but the structure of the game then was such that you had to be champions to get promoted only the champions yeah. left the third division south or north so to come second with a really good performance this would have included Jardine and, and one or two others obviously you know you, you the the game was loaded against you wasn't it I mean to come second and not get any reward for that seems very strange from, yeah. the, from a modern perspective it, it does, but you know that's the fascinating thing, isn't it? About you know football. So you know we can go. You know you you look through, you know the seventies and the eighties. You know you had was it Alan McKenna, the youth team player? Yeah, yes, the 79th, yeah. Seventy-eighth season. You know a youth team player from Scotland. That that's kind of unheard of. Then you're like you move into like a strange era when most of the Scottish players we got were kind of like loanees, or you know we had that season after. Um, yeah, Eddie showing him where we had John McGinley, we had um John Corhoon as well, who mm. both were great players, both played for Scotland. But funny enough, he's on my he's on my bar yeah. list, John Corhoon. I liked yeah. him. I mean, I, I can't couldn't justify him being in my list of greats because he only played yeah. 27 times. But um, part of this is a totally arbitrary thing, Neil. So I thought I'd throw in, he, he never, I just liked, yeah. you know, he never really suited our style of play, did we? And another one as well was uh, um, John McGlashan. Yeah, he came as a youngster, started to do good things, then picked up that nasty injury, and sadly died quite young as well. Yes, he did. Um, that, yeah. that, that, that took me aback when I read that. I, yeah. I, I'd lost lost track of my. I once, I once paid for some petrol in a Kidbrook petrol station, and John McLashan was in front of me, wearing his Millwall gear. And I don't know why this conversation. I suppose a it was John McLashan, and he was completely getting out in a, in a Millwall shell suit. And he was trying to buy a, a, um, a copy of the Daily Record, Scottish Daily Record, in this Kidbrook petrol station Sunday night. And the guy behind the, the uh, till was saying, that's a Scottish paper, mate. You don't want to be reading that. There's, you know, you, there's the Daily Mirror there. So he said, yeah, I want this because it's I am Scottish. And I just remember this strange conversation about he wanted the Scottish Daily Record. He wasn't buying it by mistake. Um, the stories go, it's not quite up there when the day I met Pele, but I'll give you it. <laughs> It's my my little brush with stardom, uh, John McGlashan in, in but he yeah Park, he started, started doing good things, but you know then got a really <laughs> nasty injury and you know just carved out a career in lower league Scottish football. Yeah, and then you know you had people like Mark Laird, who you know good player. Yeah, I liked it. But the thing I liked about Mark Laird is that he's my favourite anecdote for putting down AFC Wimbledon. I was going to stop my petrol station story. No, no, when we played them in the FA Cup. And we beat them 4-1. Yeah. But um, that, that was when they scored and all their fans got excited. And then we went and scored two more goals just to shut them up <laughs> in the last five minutes. But they took this free kick and Mark Laird was the only one in the wall. And it was about 30 yards out. Mark Laird was not the fattest of players, was he? No, he was skinny. Yeah. Bean pole. Only person in the wall. And what did this player do? He hit Mark Laird dead on. <laughs> it's all like, how the hell did you manage that? <laughs> But yeah, yeah, we've had quite a few. We had oh, Colin Cameron was on loan, wasn't he? Um, yeah, Cameron, yeah, yeah. Um, we had I, that other goalkeeper whose name escapes me, he played in the UEFA Cup final. What was his name? Remember him? Oh, I, I've got oh, Peter. Rad Douglas. Oh, oh, Rad Douglas, yeah, Rad Douglas was on loan. Don Hutchinson, of course, one of my favorite Scots. And I mean, I've got a list here, I won't go through them all, but one that I did like from the early 90s from the Bruce Reup times was uh, John McGinley. Um, yeah, that's what I said him early, didn't I? Um, yeah, great striker, so, great striker. Um, he yeah, left us, didn't he? Thrown out with the bathwater by Mick McCarthy. Yeah. Um, and went on to great things at Bolton. Laurie Leslie, who was coach when I started going, but he was a goalkeeper. Played yeah, Laurie Leslie was good. West Ham, I think. Yeah. Um, but we won't mention that one. No. But yeah, no. but he was a um, decent goalkeeper. Peter Sweeney. I don't, know, I don't know how Scottish Peter Sweeney really was, but he did qualify for Scotland, didn't he? He so. was born in Glasgow. Was he? Okay. Yeah. Okay. As James Henry, who we discussed. James Henry. Qualified yeah, for Scotland. And played for England as well yeah. in the under 16, 17. Yeah. Uh, and finally, I want to give a shout out to my favourite Scott in the current scene, Murray Wallace. I love Murray Wallace. I think for a player that will give you everything he's got to give. Um, I mean, look at that performance when he came back from injury recently you know hadn't trained i think uh Rowett said that he'd come straight in pretty much on one one training session having recovered from injury over, over, over a few months uh and he came in and gave you a very very professional committed performance he must be an immensely fit bloke and i know he has his limitations listeners but i just like he's, he's a very Millwall player murray wallace I, yeah. I don't get this 
what is it what are his limitations that, well, that's he, what i read online he has his limitations well, what, do you, what, he, what do you want from your fullback immediately kieran tierney set up three for scotland the other night but what do you really want from your center half straight well his fullback? comparison would be scott yeah. malone who gives you pace and control and some some kind of probably a higher level i mean talking about quality is, is, is up two, two different players really scott malone is a wing back he, yeah, but I mean, uh, Murray, Murray being asked to be a wing back is is probably where these limitations you, might come out. But you say that, and if you go back and watch the games he played earlier this year, and early last year, some of the balls he played, you look good. And yeah, you, you, yeah. you think, my God, that looks like a clogger. But he was playing superb balls with the outside of his right foot, his left foot, and people go on about his pace, but I can't remember anyone beating him or skinning him too much. Well, he, yeah. won't, he doesn't want for fitness, I can tell you that much. Yeah. Man. You know, he'll, he'll, like I say, I mean, I think there's a big place in the game for giving 100% every game, and that's what Murray Wallace does. I, I take the point. I take your point. I, it's I quite it, interesting because, you know, people say Kieran Tierney and Andrew Robinson can't play for Scotland together, and they've proven they can. And it's the same with Murray Wallace and Malone. So I don't know if anyone's listening, i.e. Rowett, but if you put him on the left-hand <laughs> side of the back three, and then you've got Malone bombing up and down and you've got Murray Wallace overlapping. I'll tell you what, we'll be mid-table before you know it. I wonder if Rowett does. I, I can't imagine he does, listening in the bath. No. And you, you and me prattle on a great uh, Scotsman I, of your I, history. I, I, I doubt it very much, but then he doesn't know what he's missing. <laughs> I will forgive Murray Wallace anything for that goal against Everton, that last late, late, late goal against Everton. I think um, that was the thing people were kind of, yeah. I don't know, Jury was kind of out on him until he scored that. But I'll tell, tell you what, I'll tell you what, I really like our back three. Uh, Murray, Wallace, Cooper and Hutchinson. That's, that's a committed they've, they've all, back three. I like they've that. all got their faults, but I'll tell you what, they are actually all quite decent players. But if they're off, one of them's off their game and they make the mistake, it's obvious they've made a mistake. Yeah. No, but yeah. the number of times they haven't made a mistake, you know, you can count them on, you know, one hand as it were, but, you know, it is a very, very good and a very strong back three. Um and I think it's something you don't notice until one of them's missing. So Alex Pierce, you know, I think his legs have gone. I think everyone's agreed with that. Oh, I think he, that's, he, general, he, that's consensus opinion. I don't think there's yeah, a spirit of that. He, yeah. yeah, gave a good season. But, you know, when Wallace was injured, yes, Malone came in, but Malone's a different player. You know, you, you do notice that kind of hole. And I Absolutely. think you notice a hole if you miss Cooper. Well, we did when Cooper was injured as well. Um, but, you know, it's a very, very solid back three. Great stuff. If if only they could, you know, also play up front and in midfield, we'll be unbeatable. score a few goals, perhaps. Yeah, yeah. There we are. There we are. It's been great speaking to you, Neil. Thank you for your um, your in input and your research into these great Scots of Mill with Mill history. Been good, um, good conversation. I think. Do you know it's a great show, man. And rough didn't sign, and. <laughs> We, we, bring, could, we could have had so many of these on Alan Ruff. I want to bring back John McGinley up front. I don't know if he's still got it, but anyway, there we are. Yeah. Huge thank you to Neil Andrews. It's been a wonderful show. Great talking to you, mate. And um, we'll do something very similar soon. I fancy another one. I'm mulling over a few other ideas, but I'll give you a shout on those. Uh, we can mention how Neil Harris qualified for Scotland then as well. Yeah, that's 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 another kind of. I don't know if it's an urban myth. Did he qualify? Did he? He, he did. Opted? He did. He was his granddad. Or something like that. Right. But he, he, committed, to... he committed to England. Yeah. Well, that worked out well. Didn't yeah. <laughs> fool that he was. Fool that he was. He could have had some great near misses with Scotland. Neil Andrews, thank you very much. And uh, it's, it's Arriva Dirty Mill from Neil Andrews and myself, Nick Carr. Thank you for listening. Bye for now. Thank you for listening to Aston Mobile. If you enjoyed the show, please head over to Apple Podcasts and leave us a cheeky little review. However, Aston Mobile. Till next time. Who do you want to watch? Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code 
code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.